When I worked my corporate job, we had a number of agencies that we worked with. We had our agency of record who, who did all of our strategy or partnered with us with all of our strategy and our creative and they did the majority of the work. And then we had a digital marketing agency. There were some others, but we specifically had a digital marketing agency. And I remember whenever it came time, we were doing this big website overhaul, something, it was a project that I was um, taking on for our team. And we were searching specifically for an, a digital marketing agency who was going to be doing our website refresh. And these days, it's not very common that you have a separate, or it's not as common that you would have a separate digital marketing agency from your overall agency. Now, digital marketing is very much considered a part of marketing, so there's no need to have that separation. It doesn't have quite that newness that existed way back when. The same thing goes with inclusive marketing agencies. We've got a lot of agencies of record out there or just agencies that clients will work with. They'll be their primary brand partners. But in a lot of instances, those agencies don't necessarily have that inclusive lens. They don't know how to engage people from underrepresented and underserved communities. As a result, more and more, there are starting to pop up inclusive marketing agencies, in the future, perhaps inclusive marketing agencies will be like digital marketing agencies. We won't need them specifically so much anymore because inclusive marketing will just be a part of marketing and that will be capabilities that agencies have, but that's not where we are right now. So on the show today, I brought in my friend, Matthew Sang, part of And Humanity, an inclusive marketing agency. We covered a lot during this conversation, and it'll be relevant whether or not you're thinking about working with an inclusive marketing agency, because we've covered a lot of important topics that are relevant in just thinking about how to engage people from underrepresented and underserved communities in your marketing. So much good stuff, so many gems in this conversation. We'll get right to it after this short break. Okay, I've got another podcast recommendation for you. It's Latinx in Power, hosted by Thaisa Fernandez. It's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. This podcast features interviews with top-level executives, entrepreneurs, and innovators from Latin America, aiming to demystify the tech industry by providing listeners with insider perspectives and insight from Latin American leaders who have succeeded in their fields. I like listening to this podcast because I like hearing from a broad diversity of voices and hearing from and learning from their experiences. One episode I'm super excited to dive into is the latest one, Lead Generation Journey with Glenville Dixon Jr. Listen to Latinx Empower wherever you get your podcasts. So my name is Matthew, pronouns he, him, and I'm the co-founder of Antumani, which is an integrated, um, inclusive marketing communications agency. Uh, so we focus on helping brands, uh, people-first brands, we call them, leave uh, a legacy of uh, belonging with their audiences. Nice. One of the things that I think I heard from the first time was whenever I joined a webinar that you all did a couple of years ago was this whole principle of nothing about us without us. And I just, I latched onto it because I loved it. And I know that's a core principle of some of the work that you all do. Can you just kind of talk more about what that principle is and why it's important? When we first started, you know, uh, developing and humanity, what our mission was to create, you know, what an equitable agency 
uh, looks like, how does it operate. And uh, so we actually collaborated with other uh, diversity equity inclusion experts. Uh, my sister, Tammy, the co-founder is certified in DEI and she, uh, you know, because of her previous work, um, knew other DEI experts. So we collaborated with them. And one of the most uh, important principles that came out of, of like, you know, how to build an equitable agency was this concept of nothing about us without us. And, you know, we were a little confused at first because we we're like, you know, it makes total sense in terms of concept in theory, but how do you follow nothing about us without us for everything? Um, because the idea behind it is that if you are doing a campaign communications piece, piece of content, whatever it may be, that is directed at a particular underrepresented community, like, for example, I'll use myself as an example, second generation Chinese Canadian, we guaranteed to have someone behind the lens and behind the camera co-creating, co-strategying the work with us that has that lived experience. But as a small team, and even if you are a large team, you can't have all the dimensions of difference uh, represented in-house on a team. So we created what we call an allies network. This is a network of underrepresented individuals, lived experience that happen to be marketers, strategists, designers, copywriters, you name it. It's about a hundred strong now. Nice. They are, uh, thanks. Uh, they are individuals who are allowed to be anonymous on our platform. And uh, as part of the Allies Network, we tap them whenever we don't have that lived experience in-house in our agency to help us co-create the work. And they're fully paid for their work. Uh, they're fully paid for by the client uh, from the work. And the reason why they're anonymous is um, feedback earlier on when creating this network from Allies was that, you know, if I am going to contribute my voice, my lived experience, and they, the client, the end client has my name, and I have a full-time job or, you know, my own personal brand reputation, I'm, you know, I might still need to code switch or I might need still need to right. change my, you know, uh, make my answer more pal palatable or my thoughts more palatable because of my name being part of it. So making it anonymous has been very valuable in, in allowing uh, people within the network to really co-create bravely, uh, which is something that we, we focus on, like creating brave spaces and brave collaboration. Okay, real quick, I want to pause here. Matthew had mentioned code switching, and I just want to make sure we're on the same page just in case you don't know what code switching is. So officially, code switching is the way in which a member of an underrepresented group consciously or unconsciously adjusts their language, syntax, grammatical structure, behavior, and appearance to fit into the dominant culture. That's the definition according to the site BetterUp. So you might recognize code switching or you might have actually done code switching if you change up your voice whenever you're on the phone with somebody or you're in a meeting with somebody to put on that work voice that's different from the way in which you interact on a regular basis with people that you're more comfortable with or people that you feel like you belong with. So just want to make sure you are on the same page with what code switching is um, that he referenced. Yeah. I love it because I think a lot of times, a lot of times as brands are getting into focusing on inclusive marketing, one of the things that you see them doing quite a bit is they're doing inclusive marketing, but they're not doing any work to diversify their teams, to make their teams more representative. I know, you know, building a team isn't something, especially, you know, if there's, it's not something that always happens easily, right? It's not like you can just yeah. go hire a bunch of people. But it is important, like you said, to have lived experiences kind of weighing in, giving point of view. Better if they're on the team, but at least partners, consultants, you know, 
um, some talent behind the scenes because it does make the work better and more authentic. Absolutely. Is that kind of the premise why? Or is it just more of like, we don't want you talking about us without actually talking to us yeah. first? Well, yeah, there, there are a couple things that I'll add to that. It, yeah, the, the general premise is, yes, of course, having people behind the lens, behind the strategy uh, and following nothing about us without us in a literal term is is what we're looking for. But there, I think the first concept I'll talk about is about decentering ourselves. Um, so the process of decentering oneself so that we can elevate underrepresented voices is not an easy process for marketers, communicators. You know, I come from that background because we're taught from a very young age when we're starting our careers that we have the ability to read some research, uh, use our minds, <laughs> and be able to motivate people that look and have different lived experiences from us. That's that's what marketers do. So as part of the skill set that and humanity tries to provide, we decenter ourselves so that our allies, especially if we don't have that lived experience in house, are able to flourish and thrive and have their story be told and have their percept uh, their ideas be um, uh, you could say respected, finalized, approved, etc. And that's not often the case because this concept of nothing about us without us taken too simply is harmful too because it can become a very extractive process where, you know, hey, I'm including the voice of this person with this lived experience, but the process in which I do that is very extractive because, you know, they don't get final approval. They don't really have a safe space to say what they want to say. So I'm just getting it, you know, approved like through kind of like a checkbox. It's like a rubber stamp yeah. saying, yes, you know, Sonia looked at this or Matthew looked at this and they think it's great. And, um, but really I created everything and based on the circumstances and pressure, they were paid to just kind of rubber stamp it and check it off. So I followed nothing about us without it. So you can consult with people with lived experience and have them be a part of it in more of a only consultative level where they're not doing the work, but you have to make sure the way in which that process happens, that they're not being shrunken into just, I'm just here to approve something because of my lived experience. They actually yeah. have to fully be invested and be a part of it, which is something I think a lot of brands fail at, uh, especially when, you know, tapping their own internal employees yeah. or the work, uh, people that have nothing to do or no idea around marketing communications or feel the pressure to, you know, say something good about the brand because they're employed by the brand. You know, there's a lot of things that go into why it's anonymous or, you know, some of our allies don't want to be anonymous um, right. and that's totally fine, but we give that option because if you feel comfortable uh, and some have said they want to be anonymous, but they feel comfortable being part of it too. But there's a lot that goes into the how of of this process rather than, you know, hey, as long as we have someone, you know, consulting on it that has lived experience, we're okay. Like there's a lot more to it than that. Got it. All right. I want to interject here again, just because of something that Matthew mentioned. I want to reiterate, it is not okay to go and ask people on your team who have no expertise in marketing to weigh in on campaigns that are marketing campaigns just because they have the lived experience. In essence, what you're doing is you're treating them like unpaid consultants. I have an entire episode that covers this topic, episode number 22, Common Ways Brands Treat Diverse Talent Like Unpaid Consultants and What to Do Instead. I'll drop a link to it in the show notes so you can access it easily. It is very nuanced. And I, I like that you kind of put it before we like wrap a bow on this one and move on. Any advice that you would have for brands who really want to lean into this principle um, as they're 
you know, focusing on specifically marketing to, to certain communities? Yeah, I think meaningful engagement is one of the most important things. Like there's so much nuance in this that we won't get into the details, but one of the primary things is if you don't meaningfully engage with the folks that you're asking to give a part of themselves, their lived experience into the work that's going to be public and seen, et cetera, it's going to feel extractive. It's going to be extractive because, you know, use example, Pride Month just happened. A lot of brands that we know work with, you know, their idea of nothing about us without us might be like, hey, you know, we have this person that works in this department and they come from the queer community or the rainbow community. And, you know, let's just get their thoughts like a quote or something like that yeah. from, from them to support this, you know, social content post or this campaign. It's like that's not nothing about us without us. That's extremely extra. There's no meaningful engagement going on. We always say d- days of significance are great to raise awareness, but they should not be the the bar that we're reaching um, because you should be celebrating underrepresented communities all year round, regardless of the days of significance. You should be going deep with your content and with your campaigns, not just trying to hit every single day of significance. And oftentimes that means more meaningful engagement with your employees or whoever you want to be part of that campaign and longer term relationships. So when we say meaningful engagement, don't only just reach out when you need them. (laughs) reach out and build relationships before you need them reach out and build relationships with them all year round like there's no there's nothing stopping you from doing that and planning ahead but like any relationship it takes time if you go ahead and you meet someone a stranger on the street and you ask them for something the first time you meet them you would never do that yeah people but brands do that all the time with employees and um and uh people that they uh, what is distracting? It is not necessarily their fault. It's the pressures of wanting to hit every day of significance or wanting to, you know, do right by the process, but not understanding that the process takes way more time and way more thought uh, for it to be done correctly. Absolutely. You said that you have an inclusive marketing agency. What is an inclusive marketing agency? Um, I'll try to do this in one sentence, but <laughs> it is it's embedding or integrating the principles of justice, equity, diversity, inclusion into marketing communications work and I'm using more than one sentence, but okay. uh, more than it being a layer on top. Uh, and I, I wrote something about this recent or filmed a video about this of, you know, people assume that because we're merging these two concepts that have not been merged as much before in the past, especially pre 2020, they think that, you know, we're doing 50% of justice leader and 50% of marketing communications. But that irks me because we're doing 100% of both. We're not compromising either to make this work because people assume that they butt heads, but done properly, inclusive marketing, they feel each other. Like these two concepts of Jedi work, justice, equity, diversity, inclusion, and marketing communications work, they feel each other if done properly. Whereas people see it as a distraction from each other or something that fights that we're forcing together or, you know, moral imperatives only. But there is huge business case behind it. And if you embed it and do it properly, uh, not only is there a huge moral imperative, there's a huge business case for it. Yeah. Okay. So when would a brand need to work with, because I guess a lot of larger brands or medium-sized brands work with marketing agencies. They have often like an agency of record. When would you need to work with an inclusive marketing agency versus 
a traditional marketing agency? Like, are you firing one to work with the other? Or like, <laughs> how, how does it work? <laughs> well, we actually partner with a lot of agencies to do this work. I can give you what the vision I have is and what we think the world is going to be and what it is right now. What it okay. is right now is that you're right. A lot of medium, large size businesses that we work with and brands, they have an agency, not necessarily a record, but they have an agency or multiple agencies they're working with already that don't have an inclusive lens. So we're brought in on sometimes a consultative level or even a training upskilling uh, level uh, or a strategy level to kind of help provide that lens to the work. Usually we're brought in in the earlier stages so that we can actually be part of the original strategy when building these ideas or these learning paths, et cetera. And it's not so much a checkbox. We refuse to be that, you know, come in and checkbox. Uh, in the early years, uh, we were asked that a lot and it just didn't sit right and didn't work well and nobody wins with that. So we do partner with a lot of agencies now at necess uh, when necessary for certain things. But we also have separate projects with those same brands that have those agencies because we have, you know, inclusion specific projects. And that's kind of the scenario that, you know, things are happening now. Uh, because we do things that are different from a regulated uh, agency in terms of, you know, we have external services that are related to consultation and creating strategies and things like that. But we also have internal focus services on upskilling your team, like improving or uh, developing your marketing and communications um, people's uh, intercultural competency. So if you're, whether you're a graphic designer or a copywriter, et cetera, we have different learning paths for your type of role. And that's not something that you can't do simultaneously with doing external stuff. So that's where, you know, why we're able to work directly with brands as well too. We do have brands that work directly with us externally too uh, on specific projects, like I say, but the way I see it and the way I think the future will be and, you know, you've said this a lot of times yourself, this is the future. And right. that's supported by not just statistics, but by the fact that and I use the analogy of myself as an older millennial Gen Y. When I was coming up in the marketing world, digital was so obvious to me as the next thing. But they were the, you know, above the line work was kind of the main stuff. And then us as a digital agency or the web agency was kind of like, oh, yeah, they'll do the digital web stuff. And I was <laughs> thinking, like, this is the future. Like, why are we? you know, putting 10% of the budget into this when this is what's, you know, going to be the future, like everyone in my age group, and I'm eventually going to be part of, you know, the, the one with the most disposable income and, you know, people with more decision making uh, power. Why are we being like, you know, pushed to the side when I know this is the future? And it was so obvious to me that, you know, digital was the future. And but that's because of my age range at the time. And it's funny because I think the same thing is happening now with Gen Z, Gen Alpha, et cetera. For them, diversity and inclusion, diversity is a fact. It's like they see it all around them and they find it so confusing that brands are still doing such obviously performative work. Yeah. They're like, yeah. why, why are we, why are you, why are you spending time on doing, you know, thoughtless performative work? Like this isn't going to land. Like, Consumers are smart enough to know that brands need to make money and brands need to, yeah. you know, promote products. And Gen Z is willing to spend and Gen Alpha is willing to spend their money. I'd say more so Gen Z, Gen Alpha is young. But Gen Z is willing to spend their money where their values align. And they're not stupid. They can see when things are, they can smell performative work from a mile away. So yeah. when brands kind of do that, it's kind of like, confusing because in my opinion 10 15 years down the line just like if you're not digital now as a brand you don't exist if you're not inclusive 10 15 years down the line you're not going to exist either because you're just going to be so far behind 
from what the audience expects from brands. They're disappointed in brands now, but 10, 15 years down the line when, you know, more of this shifts and more people with intercultural competency take these over these uh, marketing decision-making roles, I feel like inclusive marketing is going to be ubiquitous and it might not even be called inclusive marketing, just like we don't sometimes don't call it digital marketing only, right? It's just, right, it's just marketing. marketing. Yeah, it's just marketing. Yeah. yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love that. Like when you were talking about, um, I guess it's Gen Alpha, that's where Luna's in that generation. And yeah. I think yeah. about her sometimes, black mom, Argentine dad, yeah. when she's playing with her dolls, she's got a black Barbie mom and a, and a white Ken doll, like dad, yeah. right? Like she yeah. calls them ma- so mom, mama and papa, right? Like that's what she calls yeah. us. Yeah, She's named them. She switches between English and Spanish on a regular, like her world is just yeah. inclusive because that's just, that's her world. Like, because that's who her parents are, her family, her references. And I don't think that she's unique. Right. In terms of she might feel unique now, but like increasingly as we start to think about and the the data and the statistics support this. Right. Like in terms of these younger generations. Yeah, absolutely. This is just whether it's something that they do at home or just what they're seeing and interacting with. It's their new normal. Right. And I think it's like marketing hasn't isn't catching up, but they're going to have to very soon because that's their expectation. That's that's their benchmark. <laughs> yeah, underrepresented communities are are slowly becoming more and more the majority. Like I think I think the stat was in either North America or Canada only, I forgot, but will become a minority majority nation in like maybe 10 to 15 years, like 2036 or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, oh, uh, like these are never like exactly pinpoint, but you know, we're on that path. And, you know, more and more people are identifying as uh, part of the queer community because there's more language now. There's more language mm-hmm. to define. It's not like they didn't exist as much before. It's just there wasn't the language to define uh, certain communities as much. So the way I see it is that the world is just becoming more diverse. Right. And that's why I say diversity is going to be just is a, just a fact. It is just a fact now. But for them, they didn't grow up where there wasn't as much people self-identifying as part of underrepresented communities or acknowledging, you know, there was a lot growing up for, for my age, there was a lot more people that had, you know, uh, the goal was to assimilate and, and which developed a lot of internalized racism uh, within, you know, people from my age group. So, but with Gen Z there, I'd like to hope there's not as much shame as being different. There's celebrations of difference rather than trying to minimize our differences. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just see it being, yeah, the future, you know, Absolutely. It's just, it's what can can expect? Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. Like trying to remember the name of that guy you just met at a networking event. Was it Ron or could it be Don or John or Sean? Yeah, that kind of impossible. HubSpot's all new service hub can help. Well, with the service solution part, at least. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform, for the first time ever. With an AI-powered help desk and an AI chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. In a full 360 view of every customer, so your go-to-market team can keep a pulse on accounts before trying to upsell or cross-sell. Also, you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. And you know what that means, better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. 
Visit HubSpot.com service to do more for your customers today. So given that, one of the things that I've seen as I've worked with different brands is a lot of times I'm training um, or partnering with or coaching, consulting with the brand teams. But unless the agency is there, because the agency is the ones who's doing all the execution of it, then you just kind of, you have this, this gap, right? Because it's one thing to have the strap, but like if they, you don't have the pull through, is that really how inclusive marketing agencies kind of help bridge the gap? Because maybe it's not so easy for agencies to, they, they haven't necessarily, not all of them, maybe some of them are sort of establishing this as a core capability within, but is that why there's more of like, there's this distinction between the two? Yeah, we've had situations where the brand is totally on board, but the agency isn't. And it's not so much they're resistant to it. It's just more so it's a huge change. Like when we were building and humanity, we had done learn so much about how we did things. How can we expect an agency, even the brand itself, after one session or, you know, a couple like they have to be fully on board from top to bottom, bottom to top in terms of willing to change the processes, change how they do things. And that's not an expectation. Like some of the brands we work with, even training the brand marketing team where the agency isn't involved, it's it'll, it'll take them years to build. I think it, the, the rule was like we use the IDI curve, but point is it takes years for you to develop your own intercultural competency. And it takes even longer for you to make systemic change at your organization or be part of that systemic change or systemic change in general. So, and that's what a lot of this work is when we work with certain brands that we work with you know, they're on, you know, three to five year learning paths, right? Like in terms of doing that. So is an agency going to connect the time resources? No, that's a whole systemic change. Like they often don't. So what we do when we find working with the agencies, we, first of all, we remind ourselves that it's progress over perfection. You know, we can't get everyone where we need to go. And part of our job is to bring them along that path and do our best, especially if if they have the right intentions to do it. But I think a lot of the struggle when working with brands and the agencies and how that kind of all plays out is that we first of all we emphasize progress over perfection and we know that most of the brands and the agencies that are willing to collaborate with us on this work they all have the best of intentions they want to do the right work but they have certain things that restrict them and these certain things are systemic things in which how an agency runs their process etc it took us so long for us to unlearn certain things we can't expect them to do it themselves so a lot of times in these cases, we are challenging things that are maybe oppressive or that are maybe counterintuitive to the traditional agency process and how we do things. And we don't expect the brand and the agency to do it right away, but them being aware of it is a good first step to know that, okay, this is not perfect. This is not the way we want to do it. But at least you're aware that, you know, this should be something we change in the future because the process and the how is just important as the what and the output. You can put together something that looks and feels incredibly diverse, inclusive, et cetera. But no matter what, the truth always comes out in terms of how it was created and who was involved and what was the process like for them. And that's why we emphasize that how, because if that how is done really well and correctly and inclusively, then the what usually naturally comes and, and falls out of uh, that work. Absolutely. When would you recommend that brands think about working with or engaging an inclusive marketing agency? I think 
they should, well, I'm biased. I don't think they always <laughs> should be, regardless of size, situation, et cetera, because I, like I said, I think it's the future. And there's a lot of statistics that prove that it is the future of marketing. But I do think that realistically with where things are right now when it comes to, well, the economy is not great, budgets are are tight. A lot of brands assume that, you know, DEI, you know, I shared recently on LinkedIn that there's a lot of stats about DEI being the first thing cut or one of the main things cut because they see it as an add-on and a layer and not something embedded. So I think brands should be working with inclusive marketing professionals, agencies, you name it, all the time. I feel like they should be just like they're constantly upskilling themselves on, you know, the newest, you know, threads is now, you know, whatever the yeah. newest thing, Apple glasses are coming in, you know, they should be on top of justice, equity, diversity, inclusion. If anything, I feel that's way more timeless and way more worth investing in because it's it's a fact that's going to be around forever in terms of our diversity, right? And it's something that we're so far behind on. And I find it frustrating at times that there's such an investment on new technology because it emphasizes that technology is more important than humans. And that's a huge problem and it irks me. And I know that's not what people are saying out direct directly, but that's where the money, time, resources are being invested. This this need to catch up with technology. And I've spoken about this and written about this on LinkedIn and stuff like that too, because I really think that the timelessness or the ubiquity of diversity should mean that this should be always something we invest in and not something we just discard uh, when times are, you know, or something like that. So long answer to to your short question was, yes, they should <laughs> always be investing in this. And if we're going specifically more tactical with that answer, it's like, if you feel that being inclusive is going to be beneficial for the bottom line of your brand, because you know that your audience is diverse or your audience is demanding or wanting it, then you should be investing both internally and externally. Internally to build your team's intercultural competency and understanding of this work and how to do it properly and how to do it right and how to uh, further learn you know the right language and the right methodologies etc like that and you should be doing it externally as well because us as marketers we have responsibility people see our content billions of people see our content and if you're not producing inclusive work then you're furthering the harm that's been happening for the past you know, whatever centuries and anything that is not counter stereotypical or countering that harm is harmful. End of story essentially is what it is. So I think people are worried about signing up for this work because they feel like it's intangible or they feel like it's so unachievable and they, I kind of want to compartmentalize it, but it's actually a lot more achievable and tangible than you think if you're willing to put in the time that you do on other things. Um, so yeah, rant over. Yeah. yeah. No, no, I think it's it's a good way for people to think about it and to just be strategic about how they're investing their dollars and who their partners are in helping them to achieve their goals. Like you said, this is the future, right? So how can we make sure that we've got the right partners helping us to evolve our practices, the way we operate, the way we think, and the way we execute? Because it's not it's not just something that's as simple as, because like you said, it's not like a checkbox thing that you do at the end. It's not a stamp. Yeah. It, like it fundamentally has to change the way in which you show up and approach. Yeah, you, 
that's why I loved your advice. Uh, and I always talk about expanding your circle of influence. It's the easiest, in my opinion, the easiest first step and something I follow when I heard you say that. It's like, yeah, just change who you follow on Instagram, LinkedIn. That will change your mind because you're when you're mindlessly sometimes scrolling on Instagram, what you're like, oh, yeah, I see that. And then you start to see different perspectives. You're exposing yourself to people that have different diverse ideas and thoughts. And I think that that's such a powerful, easy way to, um, I guess, learn because it is a foundational thing. And, you know, like people always say, invest in your mental health. Like, I believe this work is so beneficial for your mental health as well. I'm sure there's a lot of stats around the intersection of that, but like, it's so beneficial for your mental health because what you're thinking about is you're thinking about humans, right? You're thinking about humans. You're thinking about emotions. You're putting yourself in other people's shoes as much as you can. You're understanding that you don't understand. Like you're being vulnerable with your emotions, with your feelings and being humble enough to unlearn certain things that you've, you know, held such strong opinions uh, for for so, uh, so long. Someone recently reminded me of the quote, like strong opinions weekly held. And I love that idea. And that's what so much of you know, investing in DEI is, it's like, you might have strong opinions that have been conditioned in you for, you know, your whole life. But if you hold them weekly, it means that you're willing to change your mind and you're willing to grow. And that's, in my opinion, is foundation of, you know, intercultural competence and also foundation of investing your mental health too. So absolutely. What are some best practices that you would recommend for people who do want to work with inclusive marketing agency? It's funny, we have this as part of not so much our onboarding, but, you know, like as a prerequisite when working with with us. So one of the things is that we say it's a mutual learning partnership because with our investment in the foundations of Jedi principles, et cetera, we may do things that are completely opposite to the way you're thinking things should be done, but everything has a purpose. So there's a mutual learning. We're, of course, learning about your brand, the way you do things, your strategies, et cetera. But if you are open-minded and willing to learn about the reasons why we do things and not just see it as that's different and that's wrong. I think there can be a very beneficial mutual learning partnership. So a quick anecdote, like for example, we do, uh, we hold space for introductions and that sounds like a simple thing, but everybody has different lenses and we have lenses on our website that we talk about, but we go deep into our lenses and our diverse perspectives when we first introduce ourselves to uh, clients and our team introduces themselves. And sometimes you can feel, and some clients have said that, you know, I don't have time for 30 minutes of introductions of, you know, et cetera. Like, and they don't say it necessarily in those terms, but there's that feeling because marketing communications or advertising generals like, go, go, go fast, fast, fast. Yeah. And like, so, and like, you know, we have the next thing and like they, they never have time. And, you know, one of the things that we try to teach our clients is to demand more time. Like you need more time to do this right. And spending half an hour on introductions allows for space for people to feel seen in the beginning. Mm-hmm. That also allows for space for you as an individual to truly see who you're talking to because you truly see, you know, that this is more than just a human that is trying to do marketing services, right? There's so much more to it that and the work ends up being better because yeah. the relationships are better. You have more meaningful relationships. You know that person on a personal level. And, you know, um, that's just a small example, you know, where Uh, introductions are seen as, you know, like excess or waste of time, but we truly believe in the power of, you know, taking more time and taking more space for, for that relationship to build. One of the things that I love about the introductions, I've been a part of that as I've partnered with you all. And it is transformative because it's not like you're just general icebreaker that, you know, everybody's gone through and you're, you know, 
it's one where you really, if if you will let it, it lets you um, understand the people who you are interacting with, why they think the way they think, exactly. why they um, have that perspective or point of view. I was having a conversation with my family yesterday and back and forth with Jonathan, my husband. As I mentioned, Jonathan is from Argentina. So sometimes there are things that he, like I'm listening to the perspective of my family on a particular thing. And then I listen to his perspective on it. And then it's like his perspective can be very different because he didn't grow up here. And so he is unaware of, hasn't experienced, like he's thinking about things sometimes from the lens of someone in Argentina, yeah, which is different from somebody who's going to think about something with the lens of we're in Florida and we're black in Florida, right? Like, yeah. so yeah. it's 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 different. Not to say one is right or one is wrong, but we're able to understand more of why we think a certain way or behave sure. a certain way because of those things, and it just helps you connect and not be so focused on. This is the way. <laughs> Not be so focused on that is such a perfect way to put it because it's all about questioning what we all was. We all have unconscious bias, right? So right. part of this work is always questioning, like, why is it this way? Should this normal way be like normal is such a privileged thing to say anyways. But yeah. like, is this way the way for a particular reason? Usually it's a colonial construct. <laughs> like usually yeah. that's what it is. Um, yeah. But like if we're going to decolonize, if we're going to be open-minded around doing this work, having that diverse perspective and knowing that, you know, that person has that lens, that their their thoughts behind something, like you said, is not necessarily wrong or right. It's different, but it's just as valid, right? It's yeah. just as valid. And it's valid for someone with that lived experience um, to have that perspective and this idea of there's only one right way or there's, you know, only a couple right ways and everything else is weird or wrong is very colonial. I actually just read an article that I just posted only. It was so good. It was about the practice of holding multiple truths, Uh. which was so amazing. And we have to hold multiple truths all the time, especially in the work that we do, me and you, Asanya, of holding multiple truths of, you know, we live in a capitalist society. We are for-profit businesses and business owners, but we operate in within colonial systems and constructs. Even though the idea of, you know, English being the dominant language, you know, there's so many things that we have to practice holding these multiple truths where we want more, we want to focus on justice and equity, but we also are supporting the things that we are trying to do away with, like uh, by being by being part of the system. So anyways, it's definitely worth a read because it talks about this, this mentality as actually part of progress. Um, but um, the more you hear other people's lenses, the more um, I feel it's like building that muscle of knowing yeah. how to practice holding multiple truths. Yeah. 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 And it also just gets you in the habit of listening more and engaging more and di- diversifying your circle of influence. Right. Because yeah. I think also if you were to go around that room and listen to everybody's lens and, and they all sound similar, it's a good indication that, you know, you might need to kind of you're in the wrong room. <laughs> yeah. <team. laughs> yeah. You might need to diversify your team. Yeah. You don't want that yeah. group think uh, effect yeah. like and, you know, people say they welcome diverse voices, but sometimes they don't. They welcome confirmation bias voices. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they just want yeah. the same thing. All right. Yeah. Any parting words of wisdom for business leaders and marketers who 
are thinking about working with an inclusive who like who are working with agencies to help them be more inclusive with their marketing? I think the most important thing that they should know is that this is part of their job. This is not a I'm doing something that is which is unfortunate. Sometimes the case is they are doing something that is against the grain ready at their own company. Like so many people have worked with us because they're the champions of their own organization going, we need to prioritize this. But um, I feel like the bar is so low because what it should be is that organization knows should be a part of it. And as a marketer, that is part of your job and or communicator to, to be inclusive and to understand and build your own intercultural competence. So I guess a lot of the times it feels like they're battling uphill still. So I guess know that it's part of the job, but also demand more. And I've said this before. And what I mean by demand more is that you deserve more time and more energy, more resources from your leadership team and from you know your organization to do this work. And I say demand it unapologetically because your budget should be including this work. It shouldn't be like something you have to fight for. And you, if you, it isn't there, then you should be demanding it. And that's okay. Unfortunately, I know that people don't have the power or the ability to without, you know, their jobs being in peril or something like that. But I wish that wasn't the way it was. But yeah, that's what I would say. That's it for today's episode. I hope you got just as many gems as I did from this discussion with Matthew. If you like the show, definitely, definitely do share it with your friends, your colleagues, and your network. If you're sharing on social, tag me, tag Matthew in the conversation. Uh, and we'd love to continue it with you and answer any questions you have and just have a nice dialogue. I would also love it if you would leave a rating and review for this podcast in your podcast player of choice. It really does help more people discover the show and help more people and engage in inclusive marketing, which I like to think means more people will have a place where they feel like they belong as a result. Before I go, I just want to make sure, are you on the inclusion and marketing newsletter yet? Are you getting it each week? Each week I send news, stories, insights, and other tips to help you build an inclusive brand that makes more of the people you serve feel like they belong with you. Go to inclusionandmarketing.com slash newsletter to get signed up. I'll drop a link to it in the show notes for you. And then you can be in the know on a weekly basis. Until next time, remember, everyone deserves to have a place where they belong. Let's use our individual and collective power to ensure more people feel like they do. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you soon.